0: I don't know what kind of eater you are when you get given a plateful of food, whether you like to, on every forkful, have a little bit of everything so that the meal is well measured and balanced, or whether maybe you save the very best thing till last so you can enjoy that last moment. Undoubtedly, the worst way to eat a meal is to leave the worst bit till last. But we're in letter 7 out of 7 and it has to be said this last letter really isn't the best there's no encouragement in this letter it's a stark warning but what we get to is an amazing promise so let's listen carefully and listen to what Jesus has to say to us As as we've seen in the past couple of letters this letter isn't written to us It's written directly to the church in Laodicea, but it is written for us, for our benefit, for us to listen to. Because the seven churches, as we said, represent the universal church, that every church that comes after it will experience these struggles. So this evening, this afternoon, as we listen in on this letter, this challenge from the Lord Jesus is right to us as well. The Lord Jesus is saying... To us, to Town Church Bister, don't be half hearted, be earnest. Have a look down to verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. See, warm water is useless, hot water is useful. Cold water is useful, warm water is not. Laodicea, as a city, had its water supply given to it through long pipes. The water that arrived in Laodicea was then lukewarm. See, the the Laodiceans would have known exactly how awful lukewarm water was. Everyone knows that lukewarm water is disgusting when you get a glass out of the tap and it's even just a little bit off cold, it's just not right. But even more so, it spreads bacterial in warm water. It's not good, warm water. I've actually got a habit of when I go to get a glass of water, I'll always run the cold tap for about 10 seconds before I get that glass of water because I just want it to be as cold as possible. But you can guarantee... If any of us went to the jug at the back, got our glass of water, and it was really warm, you just wouldn't carry on. You wouldn't carry on drinking it. You wouldn't handle it. There were cities around that had good water. Hierapolis had medicinal hot springs. Useful. Colossae had um, flows of rivers that came down from the mountains. Really fresh and cold. Useful. But Laodicea, warm and useless. See, Jesus uses this metaphor that as he looks at the church, he uses the same language that we've already seen in the last two letters. I know your deeds. He knows what the Laodiceans are like. He looks at them. He knows what they're doing. He knows what they're all about. And the diagnosis is pretty bad. Jesus is saying to the Laodiceans, you could have been refreshingly cold. You could be beautifully hot. But right now, you're useless. The Lord Jesus looks at the complacency of the Laodicean church and says, I am about to spit you out. Wow. See, when it comes to the, the gospel and their response to it, it's all gone stale is warm look at verse 17 this is what they say you say I am rich I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing see the people in Laodicea they think they are rich they think they're all right they think they don't need a thing they're complacent they've forgotten how important the message of the gospel is And Jesus carries on in verse 17 to deliver the diagnosis of what they really are. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. See, without Jesus, people are powerless, helpless, in utter need of rescue. Wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, naked. That's the diagnosis Of the person who doesn't trust in Jesus. And it's the diagnosis of the sinful nature that exists in all of us. We've got to be realistic about that diagnosis. We're reading The Enemy Within um, in growth groups. For that exact reason that we'll think and battle and and work out. Here's what it says about the heart in chapter 2 of that book. But the heart is more than complicated and unsearchable. It is deceitful above all things. The unsearchable, deceitful heart is where sin hides. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says, the hearts of men moreover are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. Jesus called the heart the fountain of sin and a treasure chest where we sock away evil. Put this all together and you have a scene no director could stage. He could never design a house as complex as your heart or gather enough monsters to fill it. See, the doctrine of sin means we can't just be complacent, think we're okay. Without Jesus, we were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And something of that nature still exists within us. Are you on guard? Are you constantly looking for when your sinful nature is trying to rear its head? Are you willing, not like the Laodiceans, to just say, we'll just be okay? Are you humble enough to listen when others pick you up on the things that maybe you do wrong? But at the same time, as that diagnosis is clear, the Bible says that when we trust in Jesus, we are transformed. Look at verse 18. Look at what it says we have from Jesus when we trust in him. Gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. See, in Jesus, it's not wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, naked, but rich, clothed, able to see. What's the solution to lukewarm complacency? We'll look at verse 19. So be earnest and repent. Be real and repent. See, when you repent, you can't help but be earnest. I wonder if you trust in Jesus here today, if you remember the very first time that you turned to him. It's when the gravity of God's rescue grips your heart and you can't help but it be all-encompassing. I recently had the joy of sitting with a girl who said in that moment she wanted to trust in Jesus for the very first time. She was beaming. It was all-encompassing to her. It was brilliant that moment where it is everything to her. She was earnest and she sat and she wanted to talk about Jesus and the next thing she said was, I'd love to put on a meal in my house to tell all the people I know in my house. See, she was earnest, she was all in, because in that moment of the time she very first repented, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, gripped her that she couldn't possibly be half-hearted. She couldn't possibly be complacent. See, the description of Jesus in the introduction shows to the Laodiceans just what they need. See, to repent, it takes two things. To earnestly repent and believe. You need to have a right view of your own situation without Jesus. But also, you need to have a right view of the Lord Jesus. You need to have a right view of what you're turning from, your old ways, your position without Jesus. And you need to have a right view of what you're turning to. That's what it means to repent, to turn from something to something else. That's why it's Jesus' character that's brought out in the description at the beginning of the letter. Verse 14, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Amen means true. So when we pray and we say Amen at the end, we're saying true or I agree. So the Lord Jesus described as the truly faithful, true truth. Look at verse 18. Receiving from that Lord Jesus is the only way that we'll have those needs met. The Lord Jesus is the one who blesses richly in verse 18. The Lord Jesus is the one who covers shamefulness. The Lord Jesus is the one who gives clear sight. See, when they're realistic about their nature and trusting in Jesus' nature, you will be repentant. You'll be continually turning from your old ways to trust in Jesus. But the danger is we forget. We forget what we were, where we were, and we become complacent. We become half-hearted. And so we forget where we are now. If we forget to recognise our great need for the gospel without Jesus then we forget, we we don't recognise just how amazing he is, just how brilliant what he gives us is. It's then that we live a life of lukewarm complacency. It's then that we live a life where the good news of Jesus doesn't grip our heart. See, the, the truth about Jesus must radically change every area of the Life of the person that trusts in him. I wonder, is that the case for me? Is that the case for you? Is that the case for Town Church Bister? <coughs> Here's what Spurgeon writes of the Laodicean church. And as you listen, just listen in. I wonder, could this be said of Town Church Bister? They were not cold, but they were not hot. They were not infidels, yet they were not earnest believers. They did not oppose the gospel, neither did they defend it. They were not working mischief, neither were they doing any great good. They were not disreputable in moral character, but they were not distinguished for their holiness. They were not irreligious, but they were not enthusiastic in piety for eminent for zeal. They were what the world calls moderates. They were of the broad church school. They were neither bigots nor Puritans. They were prudent and avoided fanaticism, respectable and adverse to excitement. Good things were maintained among them, but they did not make too much of them. They had prayer meetings, but there were few present, for they quite liked their evenings at home. When more attended the meetings, they were still very dull, For they did did their praying very deliberately and were afraid of being too excited. They were content to have all things done decently and in order, but vigor and zeal they considered to be vulgar. Such churches have schools, Bible classes, preaching rooms, and all sorts of agencies, but they might as well be without them, for no energy is displayed and no good comes of them. a brutal indictment, isn't it? Could that be said of Town Church Bista? Are we half-hearted? Or maybe you're thinking this is a bit of a wake-up call. What does it look like to respond earnestly? What have I got to do? Well, Jesus says your position is not earned but given. Look down at verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, it's Jesus' initiative. It's Jesus who knocks at the door. Our role is to hear and respond. What does Jesus do? He takes the initiative. Our responsibility is earnestly listening to him and recognising what he does. You see, that's exactly what it looks like to trust in Jesus for the very first time. You admit that you're in great need of rescue without him. You recognise and believe that he died on the cross for you to take your punishment, rose back to life to secure an eternal future for you, And you commit to living for him. It's when we do that that we're given ultimate acceptance. Maybe this afternoon you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe that's familiar, but you've not made that commitment. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He simply asks that you admit That without him you are in great need. That you listen to his voice. And respond to him. That invitation. Is open to all. And it's when we do that. That we dine at the same table as Jesus. We are his. We have complete acceptance from God. But doing that earnestly. Means not just doing that once. And forgetting. Because if the. Good news of the gospel truly grips our heart. We can't possibly forget that day and move on. You can't just say a prayer of committal and then sit back and say, Job done, unsorted. But the good news of the gospel goes on transforming us. I wonder, could you say where you've been challenged by God's word this week? Do you know whether Lord Jesus is taking initiative to shape you to be more like him? If not, are you listening to his word? Are you hearing? Are you responding? What might it look like to put things in place that earnestly you listen, you hear, and you respond? Maybe that sounds like a big investment. You think, well, I thought the Christian faith was about a position that's given and doesn't change. You're thinking it's almost like this letter's turning up the volume on what it means to be a Christian. How could it be possible to live with that emotional investment in the gospel all the time, that earnest nature in the Christian life? Well, look at verse 21 to the one who is victorious I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne don't know if you've ever run a distance race imagine at least you'll have gone out for a run where it feels like a long way and there's moments where you struggle to keep going more often than not The thing that makes you struggle in those moments is the doubt that you can actually finish. The doubt that you'll actually get there. That's the thing that stops you. Let's say somebody entered you for the London Marathon on the 26th of April this year and you had to run the race thoroughly underprepared. For some that might be your worst nightmare. For some you might be thinking, Ah, probably do that in a little bit of training but it's pretty unlikely from, the, from this position that you'd be able to run the 26.2 miles without stopping to walk but there is a small chance but on the day the thing that would stop you running is the doubt that your body has the capacity to run that far so you'd certainly I'm sure stop before your body would give up because it's the doubt you doubt that you'd be able to complete it. In fact, you'd probably start that race, I'm sure, thinking it's only a matter of time. That's the reality, isn't it? But if you could be given the guarantee that you would finish the race, the absolute guarantee that physiologically and psychologically you could cope with the pressures of running the London Marathon on the 26th of May this year, April this year, You'd have no reason to stop. How will we cope with the intensity of the Christian life? How how can we avoid complacency and be earnest in what we do? Well, look at verse 21. We have a guarantee. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious. Romans 8 verse 11 says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. See, we're given the spirit to keep going, that we might be transformed and go on being transformed to be like Jesus. And as surely as Jesus was victorious over death, that's how sure our victory is by the transforming work of the Spirit. So when it feels like a battle to listen to God speak by his word, when it feels like an effort to point a Christian friend to the good news of Jesus, when it feels like an impossible task to fight an indwelling sin, when it feels like too much energy to share the good news of the gospel with a friend when it seems a bit too awkward to ask someone if they're okay when it seems like a big ask to go round to someone from church's house to lend a hand when those things feel too taxing on your time on your emotions on your energy on your strength on your money on your faith listen to Jesus' promise so the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Have your eyes fixed on that moment where you'll be welcomed in to be with Jesus, whose victory is already secure. Don't bail out and be half-hearted like the Laodiceans. Trust in the Lord Jesus who has the victory. Have your eyes fixed on that day. Verse 22 finishes with this refrain that we've seen a few times. Whoever has ears, let them hear. We've heard it again and again in the letter. That the people that receive the letter might listen to Jesus and respond. Our role is to hear and respond earnestly in light of Jesus' initiative. Accept Jesus' achievement and enjoy Jesus' victory. Maybe you'll sat this afternoon and you could count how many sermons you sat through. And you think, you know what, when it comes to the Christian faith, I've actually been around the block a little bit. When it comes to even this passage, you know what, I've prepared something from this before. I'm pretty familiar with it. Maybe you're prone to zoning out when it comes to listening to God's word. Maybe you think, I know what church is all about now. Just rock up on a Sunday and get through, or we'll make it through another week. It's not new to me anymore. It's pretty easy to just get on and go through the rhythm. See, there's something so refreshing about someone who earnestly listens receives and responds there's something in our culture that says it's not cool to be earnest it's too intense but here the challenge to town church bista and to you is to be real to be sensitive but to be earnest to be all in when it comes to the good news of the gospel wonder if you remember that first day that you accepted the good news of Jesus where it was everything where it was a joy when it was an absolute delight to give everything to Jesus and say this is it, this is me now. Just imagine the impact if every one of us made the conscious effort in light of what Jesus has done with his power in us to be more earnest. If we made an earnest effort to encourage one another from God's word. If we made an earnest effort to pray for the people that we know that don't yet know Jesus. If we made an earnest effort to repent of our sin. Imagine the impact if we were more earnest in looking out for the needs of, the other, of others in church, of serving one another, of reaching lost people in Bista. Imagine if at Town Church Bister there was not a hint of complacency, that it could never be said of us that we were lukewarm. The challenge from Jesus, he says, be earnest and repent. Let me pray. Father, thank you for that challenge to be earnest and repent. Lord, thank you that the good news about Jesus is brilliant news. Thank you for the joy that you give us in trusting Jesus. Lord, please would you remind us again, refresh us with that joy. Lord, that we might be earnest in serving you in all that we have. Lord, please could it not be said of us that we're half-hearted. Please would you give us ways to serve you and bring you great glory. Amen.